Let's stand together and let's open our Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. We've been talking these last couple of weeks about this call to participate in the divine nature. So let's, let's read this passage. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement, to add to your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we do not want to be ineffective. We do not want to be unfruitful. We want to see the fruit of your promises unfold in our spirits. We want to see the fruit of your will unfold in our homes, in our lives, and in our community. And so, Father, we hear this call to be a people who are increasing, Father, in the nature that is from your throne room, your divine nature. And so we pray you'd help us to be challenged today, convict us today, reveal to us today, Father, those things that you want to reveal to us. And Father, let us hear your words today and grow in them and determine to be all you would have us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you believe in Jesus? Let me ask it again. Do you believe in Jesus? Okay, now, uh, maybe some of you here and you're new and, and you're not sure yet. We'll hope you'll come along with us today. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay if you're not sure. But most of us in this room are people who have come to have this personal relationship with Jesus. We know he's a real person that walked upon this earth. We know he was sent from heaven. We know he was the son of God. We've experienced his presence in our life. We see the wisdom of his word that makes us love him more and more. We hear the promises that he has for us that, give, that gives us hope in all circumstances. Now, one of the things that Jesus tells us is that we have an enemy. You have an enemy, especially as a follower of Christ. You have an enemy. Jesus describes this enemy uh, foremost that he is a liar. And that he lies to us. He tries to deceive us. He tries to mislead us. He tries to trick us. Tries to get us to buy into things that are not true. So we have to be careful. He's not, a, he's not an inexperienced liar. He is a very experienced liar. He is a studier of mankind and he's been studying mankind since the very creation of man and how to lie to him and how to deceive him so he can trick us. And our, our chief and foremost strength against him is the Word of God, to know the Word of God. 
This enemy is organized. He's not alone. The Bible teaches us that there are powers and principalities in his kingdom that work against against the kingdom of God. He's ruthless. And Jesus says that he comes only, listen, only. That's an important word. He never, the, the enemy may try to tell you, oh, this will be good for you. This will be great for you. This will be wonderful. But he only comes to steal and kill and destroy. He never comes for good. He never comes into our life for our betterment. He only comes into our culture. He only comes into our lives to steal and kill and destroy. He is a schemer. He plans. And we are called from the Word of God to be aware of his schemes, to know what he does, and to overcome him. This is why these prayer nights that Kim just talked about are so important for us to come and to understand the spiritual realm that we live in, and to pray. My call to you is don't let him lie to you. He may come into your life to tell you that you're worthless. He is a liar. He'll come into your life to tell you things are okay that are not okay. He is a liar. He's in our culture today telling us things are okay, that they are good, that they are right, that are absolutely wrong. And Christians, we shouldn't be a part of them. We shouldn't be a part of them. Uh, He he comes into our life to stir passions in us, to get us to give our life, our time, our energy, our, our resources to interests that are temporal and meaningless, and it'll cause us to sacrifice the things that are meaningful. He's the enemy of our soul. Throughout all of history, One of the main strategies of the enemy has been false teaching. False teaching either burdens us with works or misleads us from truth. Jesus, when he was teaching, warned us that false teachers would come, that they would come even as angels of light, presenting themselves as people who represent him, but they're false in their teaching. They come in sheep's clothing. And they are, they've been with us from the very beginning of the church to this very day. They are still here today. They want to give us a false sense of security, mislead us from the truth, warp the, the gospel so that it becomes selfish and self-centered. They want to teach us today. Here's a couple of their big lies today. All religions are the same. They all pray to the same God. They're all going to the same place. And whichever one you choose, whatever you choose, we're all going to the same place together. The enemy's a liar. And he's a deceiver. He comes to to, to trick our lives. In the very early days, he he really began to, to speak and to use this issue of teaching. The first thing they tried to warp the church with were what we call Judaizers. This was a group that wanted to keep one of the early church converts to still have to keep the Jewish law, to still have to obey 
all of the Jewish laws. Paul battled with them in the book of Romans, the book of Galatians, and in his teaching came against them that we are not saved by the works that we do, but we are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus, that Jesus did everything for us and we can rest in Jesus. That's good news, isn't it? The other group, the second group, are what we call Gnostics. This group believed that all material things were evil. The body's evil, but the spirit's good. And once you're saved, you don't really have to worry about the body anymore and what it does. Uh, You don't have to to worry about what you do. Just whatever you want to do, do it. The actions of the flesh, basically they're saying the actions of the flesh are meaningless. You could basically live any way you wanted to live, any way your flesh wanted to live. If your spirit was okay, you were okay. This is what Paul's taking on, or Peter's taking on in 2 Peter. This is what so much of the New Testament also speaks to. Peter takes on this false teaching in 2 Peter when he teaches us that no, we are to be participators in the divine nature. That we are to be a people who are transformed by the Spirit of God and that we become participants in this divine nature when we listen to the promises of God and we fulfill the conditions that we have been given everything we need for life and godliness and then God inspires us towards this divine nature with those promises, with the conditions of the promise, things that we want tied to actions that God wants, teaching us the way of life and godliness. Now, as a church, we are called to help you become mature followers of Christ. We are called to help you to learn to think and feel and act like Jesus. That's what I'm called to do when I stand up here. That's what we're called to do with our classes, is to help us to, in this world where our flesh will take control, where the enemy will appeal to our flesh, where we have a sin nature within us, to resist that and become partakers of the divine nature so that we begin to think and feel and act like Jesus who gives us life to the full, who comes to save us, who comes to deliver us. This is why we have starting point classes. This is why every Sunday somebody gets up here and says, if you haven't been to starting point yet, you need to go to starting point. Because we want you to learn to think and feel and act like Jesus and overcome the corruption of the world and live in the divine nature. This is why we have equip classes, why we have so many things we offer on Wednesday night to help you learn to think and feel and act like Jesus, to become transformed from the corrupt nature into a holy righteousness, for your spirit to be convicted about the right things, for your spirit to be driven to the right things, for you to begin to think the right way and not be corrupted by the world, for you to recognize the lies of the enemy when they're told and when you hear them, they go, oh, no, 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 that's a lie. That's not the truth. For you to be mature enough on your own to recognize those things 
so that you're never deceived by them, that you don't even have to come to Sunday morning. About Sunday morning, when you hear me talk about it, you go, yeah, that's right. I knew that all along, Pastor. Because you're learning to think and feel and act like Jesus. This is why we do the things that we do so we'll become these mature believers. When we see Jesus, the great creator, everything you see, everything you come across, everything you feel, it's, it's because Jesus created these things. Jesus who died for you so that you could go to heaven, paid the price for your sin and mine. Jesus who loves us and gives us every good and perfect gift. Jesus whose teachings are perfect. When you really see him, when you really begin to recognize him, then Christianity isn't just something I do on Sunday morning. It's not just a religious thing. I begin to fall in love with Jesus. I begin to fall in love with this plan. I begin to want life the way Jesus says life should be. I begin to get transformed in my own being by the power of, of his spirit. So let me ask you, do you love Jesus? I really hope, I, I pray God, I, I hope I'm helping you see the greatness of Jesus week after week so that you do more than just say, oh, I've got to be a churchgoer. But I hope that you fall in love with Jesus. You know him and know what his promise is for you. When you do, faith grows in your life. Trust grows in your life. And we begin to be transformed into his, into his image. The foundation of all we do is a reflection of our faith, of how much we've fallen in love with Jesus, how much we know him. We either believe and we love him and we're following him, or we don't believe and we're rejecting him and we're doing things our own way and trying to soothe our own minds to believe that we're going to heaven. But to have victory, friends, as we talked last week, faith is required. Unaltered, uncompromised faith. Faith first, the number one influence of our life. Life-altering faith, decision-guiding faith, hope-instilling faith, Faith is required to have the fullness of life in Jesus. And that faith stirs in us as we fall in love with him. Do you love Jesus? Have you seen him enough? Have you recognized his plan for you enough? Have you seen what he's done for you enough that you've begun to fall in love with Jesus? Now, the next, that goes with that, when we fall in love with him, we are to make every effort to add to our faith. And this is, a, this is a big problem sometimes in our life. I see this as a big problem sometimes in how Christians raise their children. Mom and Dad, I want to tell you, I, I, I tried to raise my children with this thought in mind. Make every effort to instill the promises of God in them. Sometimes it seems like we make every effort for them to become great sports stars. Or we make every effort for them to be popular at school. Or we make every effort for them to get to express themselves in, in talents. And we put them in places that everything about them goes against our faith. We spend time taking them away from things of faith. We don't make every effort. 
Christianity becomes the secondary effort. The secondary effort in our life. Instead of the first effort. Peter who writes this here says, make every effort, every effort to add to your faith, to grow in these things. For some of us, we need to look at our own desires and what drives our desires, what drives our life, what drives our time, what controls us, and ask ourselves, am I making every effort, every effort in your life? We're we're right at the middle of this message, so but we're going to stop for just a second. I just want you to bow your heads for just a second. And I just want you to ask yourself and ask the Lord, am I making every effort? God, is there some place? Is there some place? Father, right now in Jesus' name, right here in the middle of this message, Father, is there something that is more preeminent in our life in the way we live our life and order our life and conduct our life? than living a life pleasing to you. Speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Last week the message taught on the first two add-ons to faith. Faith is this fundamental foundational thing, and then we're to add virtue and knowledge. If you missed last Sunday, I would encourage you to go and and get online this week and listen to the message from last week. But as I grow in the knowledge of Jesus, as I grow in faith in him, virtue and knowledge will increase. But hear what he tells us next. So will self-control. The Greek word we translate as self-control literally means the ability to take a grip of oneself. Self-control speaks to how we handle our passions that are revealed in our appetites and our attitudes. The growing Christian will begin to exercise control over his appetites and his attitudes. Self-control comes by the work of the Word of God in our life as we feed ourselves the Word of God. Now let me read two passages to you that I probably read a half a dozen times every year on a Sunday morning. But these are primary passages for us to understand how the kingdom of God works in our life. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is why we need to hear the Word of God preached with an open heart. This is why we need to be in teaching times to grow in the Word of God. This is why we need to read the Word of God. It's why we need to make every effort to know the Word of God because it will pierce into our lives and speak to the very intentions of our heart if we listen to the Word of God, if we let the Word of God speak to us. The second is 2 Timothy chapter 3 where it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. The Word of God enlightens me to the areas of life where I need to exercise self-control. One of the places where I need to exercise self-control 
is over what we'll call today the lust of the flesh. Your flesh has things it wants. Your flesh has things it desires. Because the corruption of the sin nature in us wants the flesh to just let loose. We need to remember, lust will never be satisfied. The eyes will always cry for more. The flesh will always cry for more. The flesh never has enough, whether that's from sexuality to the simple things like being able to get yourself to go to bed at night so you can get up and have a good day the next day instead of staying up too late or the ability to get up on time so you can be at work on time so you can do the job you're supposed to do so you can be faithful to your word and faithful to your witness. All of these things are about how the flesh controls us. All these things are about how the flesh impacts our life from the food we eat to what we drink and all the other possible excesses in our life that take control of a person's life. The Bible's teaching us that the flesh isn't supposed to be in control. The Bible's teaching us that the spirit is supposed to be in control. That the spirit of man, led and filled with the spirit of God, is supposed to bring control into our life. Self-control speaks to the pleasures of man and the ability to judge them and position their life to reflect what is important. This, this comes from everything from the, you know, you know from the, the, the person who plays video games so much they don't spend time with their family or can't get a job or aren't interested in the job and basically let their life go flowing by and running by instead of focusing their life on what matters or any other hobby that, that infringes on what is right before God. Self-control calls me to analyze my life, to look at my life and say what is infringing on the things that are really essential for my life, that are really essential for life and godliness. And, it, and the Spirit of God begins to bring conviction in those areas of my life. Self-control speaks to the attitudes of the Spirit. It speaks to my temper. It speaks to my weakness and just giving up when things get tough. It, it speaks to faithfulness and commitment. It speaks to consistency. These and more are all issues of self-control that is supposed to be growing in my life. Aristotle, in his writing, identifies four states of life. The first one is what he called perfect temperance. This, this has to do with passion, where passion has been entirely subjugated to reason. If you're a Star Trek fan, think Vulcans. Passions have been completely subjugated to reason. The second one is called unbridled lust. This is where reason has been entirely subjugated to passion. Think of the two-year-old in a grown-up body. 
the person that whatever they feel like, whatever, whatever hits their flesh at that moment, whatever desire they have, yeah, I, I've got, I'm, I'm going to do it. And they don't think about the outcome. These are people who never think about consequences. The words that come out of their mouth, the things that they do with their bodies, the way that they act, there's no constant, there's no thought of tomorrow and the consequences. They've just given in to whatever their flesh feels like doing today. And they're an emotional roller coaster. Then you have incontinence. This is reason fights, but passion prevails. Think of the immature teenager who knows the right thing to do, but still gives in to passion. Who, who knows what he should and shouldn't do. He knows he should study, but he doesn't. He knows what he should do, but he doesn't do it. So the, there's this battle going on. He maybe even wants to, maybe even desires to at some level, but he gives in to passion. A phone call comes, and he is distracted and off doing something else instead of what he should be doing. And then there is what he calls self-control. This is where reason fights with passion and reason prevails. So you say, why, why, why talk about what Aristotle said? Because Peter uses that word, the word Aristotle used, the word that he presented as this thing where reason fights with passion and reason prevails. Peter uses this word in this passage to tell us what we should be like. He's not telling us to be without passions. He's not telling us to be without desires. He's telling us to be in control of them. He's telling us that by the Spirit of God, we should rule in, in our life instead of being caught up in the passions of the flesh or the passions of the Spirit, we should be caught up in the Spirit of God, and our spirit should be controlled. And what Peter's telling us here is that we should add to our faith virtue and knowledge and self-control, listen, in increasing measure. We should be getting better at this all the time. We should be growing and learning by the Spirit of God. Paul puts self-control as a part of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. That as the Spirit dwells in us, that we have the spirit of self-control. To be self-controlled, listen, I have to understand my appetites and attitudes. What does that mean? I have to understand where I'm weak. Your weakness may be different than mine. Your weakness may be different than your spouse's. The what, what happens in your spirit and how you control your temper or your anger or how you control your desires or how you control your habits may be completely different. Your temptations may be completely different than your best friends or the people you hang out with. You've got to understand what are your appetites and what are your attitudes and where are you weak where do you have a tendency to be the man of corruption instead of the man of divine nature? You've got to understand that about yourself. Now, when you understand that about yourself, to be self-controlled, I have to understand what triggers those things and how I avoid them. 
how I stay away from them. There may be certain people, I just can't be with them because they, they want to run towards things I, don't, I, I shouldn't run towards. I've got to cut myself off from that. There may be certain shows I can't watch that other people can watch have no problem with, but it triggers things in me. There may be attitudes and spirits that come into my life that I've got to, I've got to watch and recognize. Maybe I can't avoid the things that upset me, but I've got to back up and reexamine how I respond to those things and understand what triggers them and learn how to avoid them. To be self-controlled in these areas. Many, many times, I have to be willing to get accountability. When James says to us, confess our faults to one another, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about recognizing those things in our life that lead us towards the corrupt nature and to confess them, to get some people around us that are going to hold us accountable in them, that are going to ask us, how did you do this week? How are things going? Are you staying away from the places you need to? Are you doing the things you need to be doing? How are you dealing with your spirit so that we become a people who are self-controlled? And ultimately, to be self-controlled, I have to learn to walk in the power of the Spirit of God daily. Do you know that the Spirit of God is available to you daily? You don't have to just experience the Spirit of God when you come in here and worship God. Man, I can't wait to get to church and experience the Spirit of God. No, the Spirit of God's available to you daily. You can walk in the Spirit. He wants us to learn to walk in the Spirit, which requires us to open our hearts to Him and to let our hearts be stirred in Him. We do not have to be subject to our appetites and our attitudes. We can start by learning to despise the places in life where my appetites and attitudes are not aligned with God's will. Listen, I want you to hear this. I've got to stop looking at those things and go, man, I like those things. I'm comfortable with those things. I've got to recognize those things that aren't aligned with God's will. And I've got to begin to look at them and say, you know what? My flesh has gotten this attraction to this. I want this, but it's deadly. It's not good for me. And instead of loving it, I've got to begin to despise it. Let me just tell you, this is, this is everything from just simple lack of faith where I go around feeling sorry for myself. Listen, if you're walking around feeling sorry for yourself, can I challenge you today? Start despising that in yourself. Listen, I, I hate that selfishness in me that makes me walk around feeling sorry for myself all the time when God has sent his son to pay the price for me on Calvary, has sent his spirit to fill me and to lead me, who's gifted me to do his work and to walk in his will, who sends his spirit so that I can walk in joy and peace and, and in, in gentleness and in kindness. I... I've got all these things God's offering to me. I don't need to feel sorry for myself. I need to walk in the joy of the Spirit. But I've got it. Yeah, amen. Give the Lord a clap offering for that. 
But I've got to look at that and see it for what it is. I've got to look at the jealousy that would stir up in my spirit when others have more than me or have different things than me. And instead of being jealous of them, I've got to sit and say, God, I despise that my flesh isn't satisfied with what you give me. Let me be content with what you give me. Let me find joy in the service that you've allowed me to do. Let me find your, my, my place in your kingdom. Listen, when the lust of the flesh, you know, the way we look at people to the way we look at the desires of our flesh, whether it's food or drink, we've got to, God, help me to despise that those things control my life. And let me have a spirit of self-control that I can live for your glory, that I can live for your honor. The attitudes of my heart, my temper, or my, my frustration, whatever it might be, all need to be surrendered to the fullness of God. In faith, I begin to see them as poison in my life instead of life-giving, and I despise them in my life, inviting the Spirit of God to move in my life. We'll come back next week and we'll talk about how steadfastness is tied to this. But friends, I just want to challenge us to listen to the Lord about this aspect. We are supposed to be growing, growing in this aspect of being a people who are self-controlled instead of a people who are out of control in our relationships, in our conduct, with this pure heart and this righteousness that comes from God. Let's stand together today and let's pray. Father, I want to encourage my brothers and my sisters today. I want to strengthen them in faith today. Father, today I I just pray that we would Uh, move towards maturity in you by recognizing the places in our life by the convicting power of your spirit and the revelation of your word that, Father, don't have the full measure of self-control in them. Father, some of these things are so hard for us. Some may be habits and things that impact our flesh and Our flesh cries out to them with even addictive powers that need to be broken in our life. Some of them, Father, rage from a spirit within us that we've just let loose, and it's grown into a giant in our life. That, Father, just makes us lose control. And we say things, and we do things, and we act in ways that later we regret, that harm people, that cause pain. And we need to grow in the strength that that giant is slain and we are no longer controlled by those things. Father, some may have lust of the flesh, even in pornography, on the way they look at women or the way they look at men that stir passions in their heart and unrighteousness in their spirit, that, Lord, it's been so hidden and so, Father, so so strong in their life that it's like a raging river running into their life that, 
They don't know how to turn it. The Lord, today, we're praying that you'd break those bonds. You begin to give us new freedom. That Father, instead of these things controlling us and driving people to a computer late at night, driving them, Father, to a television screen when no one else is around, that Father, we would break these things in our lives and we'd walk in the power of the freedom of your Spirit. Father, we thank you for your grace, but we want to increase in self-control today. In controlling our words, and controlling our emotions, controlling our reactions, and controlling our habits, and controlling our lives. Let us be better tomorrow than we are today. And let us be better the next day than we are tomorrow. And a week from now, Father, let us have increased in self-control, we pray. Let us grow in you and be stirred in you. By the power of your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' mighty matchless name, do a work in us. In Jesus' name. And ask prayer teams to come down to the front. Here's what Paul tells us. He tells us we're a slave to the one we obey. We're either a slave to unrighteousness because we obey unrighteousness or we're a slave to righteousness. We're a slave to one or the other. The first step of freedom from slavery to unrighteousness is to come to Christ who paid the price for us to redeem us so that we're no longer held by the, by, in slavery to the enemy. The first step is to surrender and to come to Christ and say, I need your help. I, I, I need to surrender my life to you. I want you to be the Lord of my life and not my own flesh. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Now, friends, if you've never done that today, this is the most important thing you'll ever do in your life is to surrender your life to Christ. You're going to do something with Jesus. You're going to reject him or you're going to surrender to him. And that will determine your eternity. That determines everything about your eternity at that very moment. And so today, if you haven't done that, if you haven't surrendered your life to Christ, you're going to see other people coming down to this altar in the next few minutes. Some are going to come down and be prayed for for health issues or decisions that they're making. Some of you need to come down because there's a self-control issue. That you just need somebody to pray. You don't even have to tell them what it is. You say, hey, I've got a self-control issue. Pray. Will you pray with me that God will break it in my life? And I'll be, I'll be controlled by, this, by the Spirit of God and not by, this, by my own flesh. But while you see others coming, you need to step out and come. And make a life-changing, eternity-changing decision today to receive Christ as your Savior. If you've never done that, today's the most important day of your life if you'll come and receive Christ in your life. Father, right now in Jesus' name, I just pray you'd speak to us. There are some in this room who have health issues, and I pray they step out in faith and come. And 
Father, you'd meet with them around this altar and begin to heal people. Father, some who need to make big decisions and they need your wisdom, I pray you begin to move as they agree with others. There's some who have self-control issues. And they need to come and just say to a friend, will you pray, will you agree with me that I'll, by the Spirit of God, I will grow in self-control. And that, Father, they'll have new life in you, new strength in you. And there are some here today, Father, their eternity weighs in the balance. And they need to step out today and come down and receive you, receive your Son. And I pray in these next few moments they would do that very thing. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing today, if you need to come to the salt and have somebody pray with you, step out and come. I love you. So does God. God bless you today.